Every day on the big show. What? Gordon and Jake want to keep you up to date on all the action, all the newsmakers, and all the big opinions on the Zone Sports Network. This is What's Going On. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Time for What's Going On here on The Big Show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. What's going on across The Zone Sports Network. Big opinions, the big news, sometimes some fun stuff as well. Gordon, uh, you filled in with uh, Patrick this morning a little bit. Did a couple segments on the morning. How'd that go? It was good. You know, I was like uh, working with uh, PK. You did it the day before, and you know what it's like uh, once you shake the cobwebs out of your head, ready to go. Yeah, I love uh, working with PK. I, I really enjoyed uh, filling in yesterday. So, uh, in fact, this first clip we're going to play is from an interview that I helped PK on. We talked to Steve Cleveland, the former BYU coach. We talked to him about Jerry Sloan and specifically Sloan's system and why it worked for so many years. First, just give us your thoughts on Jerry Sloan and maybe any interaction that you had. You know, uh, my interaction with Coach Sloan was, uh, you know, we we didn't, I mean, I think we we consider ourselves friends because we had had some contacts and had short conversations, but... I didn't really have any real life experiences. All my experiences with Jerry were watching either in the arena and watching his teams play and watching him. And I think as coaches, sometimes we kind of, uh, you know, we watch coaches and, and at every level. You know, I watch high school coaches. I watch junior college coaches, Division one coaches, just to see how they react and uh, kind of what their behavior and their demeanor is and, and just kind of how they, how they work and operate. And, you know, I, when I thought of when, – when that happened, I think we all kind of felt a loss of, of someone that was one of the most passionate people that I had been around. And, again, I'm talking about maybe three or four times where I was in his presence chatting with him, and it, it wasn't any real in-depth conversations, but just just being around him. I, I think somebody asked me this the other day, and I said, <clears throat> if there was one – if I had one word – that I had to use to define coach, it would just be that he has a huge heart. And that can, that can, you know, number one for his players, his relationships, you know, he was a tough competitor as a player. He was tough on guys, but his passion and his heart were the things that impressed me the most. I mean, he was so authentic, so real. <clears throat> he would share what he feels where a lot of guys won't do that. And, you know, I'm sure people look at him today and he was a little bit old school. We need way more old school. Uh, I think that uh, it was such a refreshing thing. And he always made me feel important. I mean, in, 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 in settings, he, you know, it was always about, you know, Coach, how are you doing? What's going on? It was always about someone else and not about him. It was never been about him. And, uh, and you know, some things I've learned about Coach, too, just – Getting watching, reading social media and reading different articles, and I didn't realize he was the first banner that went up with the Chicago Bulls. And yes. uh, what a what a great career he had there. I wasn't aware of that. And uh, just to think about the influence he's had in Chicago and in Utah, and considering the number of players in the NBA, young and old, that have reached out or were touched by him tells you a little bit about the influence impact he had in, in the basketball world, but just in the world in general, 
about what a, a great human being he was. Coach Steve Cleveland with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, you mentioned observing what, uh, Jerry Sloan coach and what type of coach he was. Why do you think his philosophies and system fit so well with his players, specifically John and Carl? I think one of the things you do as a coach, and I mean, in the NBA, that your team can change, you know, pretty dramatically. But you know, both of them were system-oriented guys. I mean, they they were capable. If they had been in another system, I think they still would have flourished. But in that system, they they really did flourish, where everybody kind of knew their role, everybody accepted their role, and and whether it were the intangibles that were established in, in, you know, having an an incredible culture and who they were and, you know, everybody knew who the Utah Jazz were. You know, I mean, sometimes you see organizations and say, you know, they never really seemed to kind of, you never knew exactly what team was going to show up. Well, with the Utah Jazz, they showed up night in and night out doing the same things, running the same action, and they got really good at it. And, and, uh, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't a, a system where, you know, there's an inordinate number of threes or there, it was a system where we spread the floor or today where, you know, there's a lot of spacing. And, you know, they, they had the way they played and they, they were in a position to win NBA championships. And, you know, certainly, I mean, one thing you do, you gain an appreciation. Sometimes you forget about how good Carl and John were and the impact that they had in this game. I mean, just statistically, you go through it and go, wow, I, did, I, didn't, I didn't remember that. You know, and then you go back and watch the clips and watch them play and the execution, uh, you know, they just kept doing what they do and they did it perfectly and teams would break down and they'd get in mismatch situations and Carl is so versatile offensively. And, uh, you know, be honest with you, John, uh, one of the greatest competitors that ever played in Adelaide, you look at for pound for pound what, what he did for a long time. And I think, I'm not sure, but I think it was five or six years in a row they won 60 games, uh, which a lot of those things just went unnoticed. And and, and maybe us watching The Last Dance uh, has given us an opportunity to appreciate how good Utah really was and uh, how well coached they were and uh, they had a system and they executed it, and it was. It, it may have today may be looked at as kind of old school basketball, but uh, it worked. And uh, and you had two Hall of Fame guys right there at the center of it, uh, executing and and really, what a treat for the state of Utah and the people that have lived here all these years. Um, I didn't have that experience to watch him that entire time. But I got here in 97. I got to Pro Bowl in 97. So I got the best of it the first two years. So it was really good. Gordon, thoughts on what Coach Cleveland had to say about Coach Sloan? Yeah, I, I, that was good to hear. Um, although I got to say the pound-for-pound pound reference. Um, John Stockton is the best point guard. Um, is, is kind of bogus concept well, but not, the greatest not. pure point guard to ever play was Johnson. wow gordon well, my, arm, my arm was being twisted when i said that uh um, um everybody knows how i feel about that stockton an absolutely great player and when bowler and i did our poll of basketball experts which ended up being 22 to 1 in favor of magic johnson the one vote for John Stockton came from Steve Cleveland because he felt like he needed a sympathy vote. Hmm. That's the reason. 
Well, it sounds like you're confused about how you feel about this. How so? I, I just heard your uh, your opinion right there. Yeah, Play that again. Wanna, and you want college players to be paid, right? I don't know what you're talking about. We're talking yeah, about uh, we're talking about uh, John Stockton here. John Stockton is the best point guard. Boom. So the greatest there, pure there point no guard to ever play was Johnson. So saith the Godfather. Not true. You just said it. Well, I didn't mean it. I'd agree with you, Gordon, but then we'd both be right. Yeah. Listen out to about John Stockton. I, I'm just confused. That's all. You, I, I hear right Warren enough. saying well, okay, one thing, here, and then let, let me clarify. John Stockton was not the best point guard. Ever. John Stockton is the best point guard. Was not. John the Stockton is guard. the best point guard. Just because Austin feels that way because he grew up a Jazz. It's not my man. voice. <laughs> yeah, but that's you're the one playing the. I would the never floor, say something audio. that that I didn't believe. John Stockton is the best have, point have guard. We ever, have we ever had Austin? Did, didn't Austin owe us a, a incriminating audio? Incriminating I don't. Audio? When? I don't think so. Oh, the Titans the won, bub. <laughs> you know what dropped? John uh, Stockton is the best point guard. You know what drop of Austin's though that we do need to keep around is the is the blind people. No, we don't. Yeah, we should keep the blind. That people That was so mischaracterized. Around. That listen here, blind people, the people that make the blinds, right? <laughs> They're blind people, right? I know, I know, but oh. that one does need to stick around. Uh, but uh, but Gordon, why do you think? Answer that question. I've asked a few people uh, the that question about Jerry Sloan and his system being such a good fit for John and Carl. Do you have a thought on that? Uh, well, it was, but I think part of it was because Sloan recognized what he had, mm-hmm. and then he utilized it that way. You know, I mean, that makes that's what great coaches do, right? They adapt and they form, they mold the team uh, into its uh, best chances for success based on their talent. And Jerry's no dummy; he saw what he had, and he he made sure he uh, he, uh, he used the pick and roll all day long and. He saw great success with it, so why wouldn't you? Yeah, I think he did a he did a really good job. One thing that um, and I, Coach Chiesa said this, I think Coach Johnson said this as well, that Jerry and that coaching staff had a a, a philosophy um, to to basically highlight the strengths of their players and uh, kind of hide the weaknesses. And I'm sure lots of coaches feel this way, but I think it was Coach Chiesa who said they did a good job with the role players putting them in positions. No, this was Coach Johnson, actually. Putting the role players in positions to get the best out of them, the stuff that they did really well, and then complement that with the two superstars. And I I thought that that was an interesting take on it. So you build your system around the strengths of not only your superstars, you know, the pick and roll, as you just mentioned, and uh, uh, post-Carl Malone and those sorts of things, but you put players around them where you can utilize their strengths and minimize their weaknesses. And as as you say that, you can kind of a few players uh, jump uh, jump into your mind. I, I for some reason I think Antoine Carr. You know, he he was mm-hmm. the perfect fit for what they needed at that point right. in his career. He wasn't going to go out and score twenty points a night, but could he spell Carl? Could he give you a healthy dose of what Carl brought you for the ten minutes when Carl couldn't bring it, and then play a little backup center as well? Yeah, he was really good at that. Right. Yeah, I think a great compliment for Big Dog was John Stockton's willingness to give him the ball. Yep, and I agree. He knew he wasn't Carl Malone, but he knew he what he could do, 
And Stockton was no fool on the floor. If he saw somebody out there who didn't think was going to do something productive, he's not going to feed him the ball over and over again. And he did that, obviously, with Carl and, and Antoine. So the other part of what Steve Cleveland said there that I thought caught my attention was the whole idea of, yeah, Jerry was old-fashioned, but the world needs more of that. Certainly the NBA needs more of that. And not in the sense of old-fashioned basketball and not in the sense of being strict to the point of abusive. That's not what Steve is talking about, and that's not what Jerry Sloan was. Jerry treated his players like grown men, and he expected them to be professionals, to show up, to play, to practice hard, to get the system down, and to do their bit, play defense, rebound hard, foul when they needed to. And if that's old-fashioned, then, yeah, I mean, that's, that's good stuff. And I think when the players can look at Jerry Sloan, look at their coach, and say, this is what I want to be. Here's my example. I want to be like that guy over there. I want to play like he played, and I want to do my business the way he does his. That's a powerful, powerful message in this world because too often, even amongst the coaching profession, you see guys who are charlatans. You see guys who are fakes. You see guys who say one thing and do something different. That's not Jerry Sloan. No. You know, one thing— um, uh, and, I said, and I said this. I said this the other day. It's not like everything, every decision Jerry made on the floor I didn't agree with. But how can you disagree with his overall, uh, overall force of who he was? of what his character was about, about the way he pr- approached a work day. I mean, it, it's that's it right there. It's right in front of you. You know, another phrase stood out to me that uh, uh, a lot of people that we've had on the air, you know, since his passing, uh, nearly all of them said he taught respect for the game. And that's what he expected out of his players to respect the game. There's there's a highlight out there of Deshaun Stevenson. I should I should Google it. I bet you know what I'm talking about, Austin. Where the opponent in the closing seconds of a game that was over got their own rebound. It was the Wolves, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, it would t- take me two seconds to Google it, but uh, got their own rebound, and then Deshaun Stevenson uh, went up and expressed his displeasure for that lack of respect. Uh, toward the game, and then Jerry's post-game comment was great. It was something like uh, they asked him what he would have done. He said, "I would have put him on his ass. That's what I would have done." You know, because <laughs> it, it was this this monumental disrespect for the game, mm-hmm. and he he taught that. And a lot of people, Ricky Davis, it was Ricky Davis trying to get a triple double. Yep, and threw the the ball off the rim and grabbed it in the backcourt in a game that was over. And like that was that was just such an insult to the game to Jerry Sloan. He, he taught his players respect for the game and, and to respect it. And that goes to, you know this, Gordon, because I'm sure you were in a thousand of these media scrums uh, just like I was when somebody would ask like, hey, is, uh, is Carlos Boozer out there 80%? And Jerry's uh, response was, if he's putting on his uniform, we expect him to play and play at his best. You know, yeah. he never heard, you know, oh, well, Booze was a little banged up, so we'll give him a pass tonight. He said, if you put on your uniform, you went out there and he expected uh, expected his players to play uh, at their best. And, and that, that always was, stood out. That much was reflected. You talked about the connection with, you know, with uh, John and Carl. That was reflected in their attitudes and the way they played. That was a personification of what 
Jerry preached. And the funny thing about that is that if somebody was really hurt, Jerry had no problem with them sitting out. Right, 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 right. Or, or, or if, if a player on a team had a family issue or had something important happen in their life, Jerry had no issue with him taking care of that business because he knew what was most important in life. That's where I, that's where my respect for Jerry comes in, man. He he got it. He had the, he had the, he wanted you when you showed up to play basketball, you better play it hard, play it well, play it the way it should be. But he knew that things like family and and uh you know, uh, life issues were uh important and he uh, he stressed that with his players. So as tough as he was, as driven as he was, as hard working as he was, he understood that there were exceptions to those rules. All right, here's another cut as What's Going On rolls on. This one's from Hanson Scotty, uh, a little bit of a fun clip with the guys talking about rats making Jackson Pollock-like art. They're saying that these, that these rats are very similar to Pollock's Well, style. Pollock's like, hey, man, like you can't compare my stuff to rats. <laughs> it's a little <laughs> offensive, actually. It's like, you know, yeah. Could you imagine, like, they put an ape on somewhere in the east to do sports radio, and all it does is huffs and snorts in the mic, and they're like, well, that guy kind of reminds us of the way Hans did it. It's like, we're like, hey, kind of got a. That's an ape. It kind of got a little Hans and Scotty vibe to him right now. Like, hey, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Don't compare me to an ape. Let's see their Google Doc. Let's see the work they're doing in prepping for the show. <laughs> How about that sports take? I was wondering where you were going with that. You're saying I do sound like an ape? Is that what you're saying? You're saying an ape could do my job? No. Hey, welcome to the program. Chuckles joins us now. Hey, uh, what were your thoughts on that uh, Jazz Rockets game last night? You know what? It's an interesting point. I hadn't thought of it like that. Um, you know, down the stretch, though, you saw James Harden with a big bucket in the fourth quarter. What, what was your analysis of that Jazz defense on that shot? Uh, I tend to disagree, but I, I, I kind of get the angle you're going with that. But, but honestly, you know, Donovan Mitchell stepped okay, up later in the game. Right. <laughs> Did you call him Chuckles? Chuckles the ape? <laughs> I couldn't think of another name for an ape. <laughs> I don't know, Chuckles. I'm getting a lot of kind of re- repetitive takes here. May want to mix it up. All right. That sound effect is ridiculous. Okay, so I, that, uh, I about barfed. What? I mean, Why? Because I, I could see the snot flying. <laughs> Have you never heard uh, Hans's uh, pig man sound it. before? I've heard it. Uh, but that uh, that was pretty funny, actually. Should we start calling Hans Chuckles? I don't know if it's, that's going to stick, Gordon. Uh, why, not, why not? Um, I don't think Hans will like it, and normally I'd say that's how <laughs> nicknames stick. But uh, when you're dealing somebody with a you know that has that uh, Olsen size, if you know what I'm saying, you mean his, that ape ape like shape? His uh, his approval might. Might be necessary if you'd like to, if you'd like to keep your arm. Yeah, you got to admit that would be kind of funny. And the funniest <laughs> part of it all is that it came from Scotty. Isn't that sound actually from another day when Hans was talking about what he sounds like on the elliptical? That's exactly where. It and comes then from. they did the Pigman story, and Lloyd dropped that in there. And right. that <laughs> that's yep, that's the story. That's the, oh my gosh, it's so funny. I don't think. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I didn't know a human could make that sound. 
Poor <laughs> <laughs> kid in your hands. Come on, that's good stuff. The hands loved that drop. What are you talking? He he, he likes he's it. Fine. Oh yeah, was he, he loves was it. He proud of that one. <laughs> yeah, he is proud of that one. He likes that one. He likes Gus. He likes them all. Loves Gus. <laughs> <laughs> loves, Scotty loves just Gus. Scotty just knows the right buttons to push, doesn't he? I mean, he's pretty clever. That Scotty is clever. He is. He is that. There's no doubt about it. And Hans does have a snort like a pig man. That that's a fact too. Sounds have like you the pig man. On, have you snorted on the air before? I have snorted on the air before yeah, when well, you I think laugh. We all have at yeah. one point. Yeah. It happens. Mm-hmm. You're on the air long I, enough. You're bound, bound to snort, bound to not sneeze. Quite, not quite like that. That's that's a comprehensive. That's that's uh, all snorts meeting in one place at one time. Yeah. Oh man, I've had a rough morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, does that, that that's that doesn't even sound human. Wait, is today Thursday? We're, no. no, no doc talk tonight, right? So right. We're, not we're gonna safe. See, we're not going to see him today. Yeah, you're okay. safe for a week. All right, because playing the old man, I had a rough morning, followed by the snort. That that somewhere Hans is not. I'm real just pleased. doing my job, man. Yes. I don't. I, I just work here. Somewhere Hans is yelling at his radio right now. Oh, Hans is funny. Oh, He's funny. I expect a text in countdown. 10, I'm right. Nine. <laughs> I'm going to need Doc Talk after he breaks my arm. <laughs> <laughs> Want to remind you about our friends at Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Spring into Action. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call today, 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333 at Action Plumbing. Chris Mannix joins the show coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're going to talk to Chris Mannix coming up here momentarily. Excited to uh, get Chris's perspective on the, the details emerging in regards to the return of the NBA, Gordon. Yes, I am. By the way, I love this song. Have you ever seen that uh, that video? I have not seen that video, no. Good video? Well, Lionel's dancing, and then he's dancing. Then he's dancing on the wall. Then he's dancing on the ceiling. I see. So, so he, essentially, he's in a, an anti-gravity <laughs> too. Oh, okay. I see how we got there. All right, let's get to it. It's time for your daily assist. It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist, featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix, on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Daily Assist brought to you, by always, uh, as always, by our good friends at Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com. Let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. They make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit sprint.com uh, for online services and local store availability. Joining us now from Sports Illustrated, he's our good friend, Chris Mannix. Hey, Chris, happy Wednesday. We're used to talking to you on Monday. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, guys. Always days blend together anyway. Oh, man. Yeah, they did. Chris, how you, how you hanging on through all this? You, has it gotten to you at all, or have you gotten into a rhythm? I mean, I think the biggest 
issue I have, not to sound like this workout maven, but like gyms being closed and, you know, I, I'm a you know, half-assed boxer, so I go to like this boxing gym that I go to every day when I'm around my town. So like adjusting to that form of life has been a challenge. Everything else, I mean, I mean, I live alone, so I'm good. Like it's the same. The day-to-day is largely the same. Well, Chris, let's talk about the the latest. What do you think about some of the details emerging about the bubble? It's in Orlando. Maybe some families are going to be able to go. We've also heard a number of uh, kind of reports or rumors, I suppose, about the format. What's the latest in your mind? Yeah, I, I don't think, you know, I wish I could be more specific on what the format's going to be, but I'm really not sure when they're going to settle on it because, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people pretty much daily on this that are either involved or are connected to people that are involved and the wants and needs of particular owners and you know franchises even you know different people within franchises to a degree um are are very different like you know some people are adamantly want to have all 30 teams others just say just do the 16 team playoff finances are obviously a huge factor here because those those regional networks, they want their games, and there are, are serious financial ramifications for all that. So, you know, I, I believe that the NBA would like to have something to put forward on Friday. They've got the general manager's call on Thursday. They've got the board of governors meeting on Friday. They would like to put something forward. But, you know, somebody in the league office told me last night that, you know, we don't want to do what the NHL did. Like, the NHL announced they were returning and offered – no details at all, except for 24 teams. Everything else was basically in flux. The NBA would like to have something concrete to put forward. And, you know, to, to my knowledge, as of Wednesday afternoon, they were still working through a lot of different things. So, Chris, if memory serves, well, uh, let me just uh, have you explain it to our listeners what format you prefer. Which do you think under these circumstances makes the most sense? Given that the NBA wants to crown a legitimate champion, I think going to 16 playoff teams is the way to go. Um, it does, in a way, you know, screw with Portland and Sacramento and New Orleans that were in the playoff mix, but it's not like any of those teams were half a game back. I mean, they were each three or three and a half games back of that final spot, so they were a decent distance away with a month to go in the season. Anything could have happened, of course, but I, I think that's a sacrifice that, that needs to be made to, to get this thing done. So if you want to have, you know, best of seven series, which, you know, if you get started mid to late July, you're talking about playing until October anyway. Uh, you, you might as well just go with, with just the playoff teams and deal with the ramifications uh, later on. So if I had, you know, my say or my vote in all this, that's probably the direction I would go. Chris Mannix of Sports Illustrated with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And it appears, Chris, uh, throughout uh, this whole process, that the Players Association and the NBA have really been pulling in the same direction. Do you expect that to continue? Yeah, I do for the rest of this season and coming to terms on you know an equitable pay scale for the rest of this year. Uh, because players have already gotten more than 50% of their salaries, so you're not faced with the same dilemma that baseball is dealing with right now. I mean, baseball seems like they're, you know, on the cusp of, of kind of Armageddon when it comes to players versus uh, owners and, and the proposals that are flying back and forth. Um, it, basketball's not going to have that problem right now. Down the road, they certainly could. I mean, if we're into October 
and this pandemic is still raging, and it doesn't seem like fans are any closer to getting back into the stands for games than they are right now. You know, there, there's going to be some some tense meetings between Adam Silver and Michelle Roberts, between ownership and the union. Uh, but for right now, I, I'm pretty confident that the finances won't be an overriding factor. There there, there certainly will be some some back and forth, but uh, you know, given that as you said, they, they do seem to be sort of swimming in the right direction. Uh, I think for this year, they'll be okay. Chris, how bad a look is that for, say, baseball, like you talked about? It's just a horrible look, given the backdrop of what our country is going through right now. It's so stupid, and it's so greedy, and, you know, there's blame on both sides. I mean, I, for some reason in this country, we are reflexively want to side with billionaire owners over millionaire players. I don't really know why, but that, that's always the case, but... You know, both these sides look look terrible. I mean, there should be a transparent audit, um, you know, a impartial audit of exactly how much revenue is lost, you know, by uh, having no fans in the stands and people be paid accordingly. I mean, players shouldn't be underpaid and owners make more money and owners shouldn't be swimming in red ink. I mean, they own these teams. And for a lot of them, you know, they own the, the, the stadiums that these games are played in. They're losing on concert revenue. I mean, there's a lot of financial implications when it comes to, you know, owning a team in a stadium at this point in, in, in world history. So I, it's, just, it's just bad. Like, come up with a, a solution. You're going to lose an enormous amount of money no matter what. Just find a way to make it work for one year and then go back to the regular system next year where hopefully uh, the world has, has kind of righted itself. Chris, uh, switching gears, wanted to get your thoughts on the passing of uh, longtime jazz coach Jerry Sloan. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a chance briefly to cover Jerry early in my career, and it was always – I mean, people know this about Jerry. Like, he, he was every man. Like, he'd be the only coach in the NBA that would eat in the press room, and he'd sit there and have his dinner and sit with his assistant coach, with Phil Johnson, and, and just kind of hang out and rip with people that would – come around and this was like an hour and a half for every game like it was it was really just kind of fun to watch and you know it, it's amazing looking back at his history I mean the guy never won a coach of the year never won a championship but you can't make any list of the great coaches in basketball history without including Jerry Sloan and you know look I, I think that for every coach you know circumstances are uh, they, they certainly matter and Jerry I think benefited greatly from having two stars in Stockton and Malone that was no nonsense and hard nosed as him. And you guys saw at the end when Darren Williams was there. Darren and Jerry didn't didn't mix like that. That was one of the reasons Jerry walked at the end of his time uh, in, in Utah. But for the bulk of his career, he had these two, you know, just you know, lay it all on the line type of guys in Stockton alone. That's what made that group uh, so special. Chris, inherent in bringing the game back is the idea of testing. These guys are going to have to be tested quite frequently. And this has been a concern that you've brought up in the past as far as the perception of it. Has it have, has our country gotten to the point now where there are enough tests for the NBA to be able to buy up all these uh, deals and, and, and to use them in order to bring that game back? I mean, the country's not where it needs to be, but I think it's where it needs to be for the NBA to do that. Um, you, you know, there has been, and you guys are seeing it on in, in your part of the country, and I'm seeing it in the Northeast, that, you know, the testing is getting better. It's more available. And, you know, asymptomatic testing has become, it becomes more readily available every single day. Antibody testing is readily available. I know friends and family members have had antibody testing as asymptomatic uh, people. So all this, you know, all these circumstances add up to, 
it, it being okay for the NBA to go out there and buy 20,000 tests and spend the money they need to spend to, to have enough for themselves. I, 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 just, I think we're at the point where it's not going to look like the NBA is hoarding them because we're having the same conversation with the NHL, and I, I'm not seeing or reading any blowback there about the NHL hoarding them. And, look, it, it certainly helps that you have you know, a, the White House you know, insisting that sports comes back and that there's not going to be any blowback from them either. Uh, so I, I do think, long way of saying, I think we're, we're at that point where testing is not a hurdle, at least not acquiring testing is not a hurdle for the NBA to overcome. Chris, thank you as always for jumping on with us. And hey, fingers crossed that Monday when we talk to you again, we have some kind of ironclad plan news to talk about. Yeah, I hope so. I think that Friday is a, is a major day in, in the NBA's recurrent history. If they come out with a concrete plan on Friday, I think we're back in business mid-July, but if they're still kind of twiddling their thumbs and dealing with uncertainty, uh, we could have a different conversation on Monday. You know, Chris, one other thing. A man of your means, I think you need to buy a bunch of gym equipment and bring it straight home and just work out there. Yeah, one of my gyms actually drops stuff off, but I'm still just lazy at my house. Like, I sit there and I've got, like, you know, whatever Netflix is showing. Now you get HBO Max, like all these things, streaming services, I mean, now I'm just, I'm screwed. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. You're the man. You got it, guys. That's our friend Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated, your daily assist here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Usually Chris joins us on Mondays, but of course because of the Memorial Day weekend, he was nice enough to uh, jump on with us on Wednesday this week. Of course, Sam Amick coming up tomorrow and Howard Beck on Friday. Do you agree with him that uh, we're to the point now where the blowback would be minimal as far as the testing goes? It, it would certainly appear that way. Um, and I don't think uh, any of these leagues would proceed unless they were pretty confident that they weren't going to get that that blowback. So uh, I, I imagine they've they're they're treading cautiously. Um, but I mean, you pointed out yesterday we still don't have testing for all Americans, and if that's the standard, it's going to take a long time to get there. So uh, apparently, we're to a place where these leagues are are comfortable that they won't get the the negative uh, press. And I haven't. Uh, I'm with Chris. I haven't seen any yet. Have you? Uh, I, I've heard it brought up, but I haven't seen it in any formal way. You know, it'd be picture it this way, Jake. Let's say, and and I'm hoping this happens. Let's say a vaccine is developed that's effective, and if if that if we were at that point in time now, would you be all for given if there were a limited supply of that vaccine? Would you? How would you feel about giving that to professional athletes so they could compete and entertain everybody, uh, even though it weren't available to everyone? Um, I don't know, Gordon. I, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm. Equipped. It's a hypothetical. I know. I but, know. But 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 it, but it uh, makes the same point uh, in some ways. But obviously, the, that vaccine should go to the the most. Uh, where it would do the most good immediately and uh, and then work its way out from there. But, you know, I mean, people people are hungry for sports. They want to see sports. But sports will, won't be able to come back to its full glory until, until this menace is taken care of via that kind of solution. And uh, I'm hopeful for that. Um, yeah, I, I'm not so sure. Uh, I, I'm not sure what standard they're going to operate on under, you know, going into the future. I mean, we're, we're going to find out as, as this goes along. Uh, I don't, you know, uh, I, the problem with talking about vaccines is there's no date or even assured 
a surety that there's going to be one. So I think it'll be interesting to see how we all proceed. Um, I, get, I get your point about the vaccines and the tests. Uh, there's probably a, a pretty accurate comparison there. And I don't know how I feel uh, about the concept of NBA players being prioritized over your average American. Probably not the best, but I also think that it does America very good to have industries come back, including sports. So uh, I don't know. A little, little conflicted there. I do know which direction we're headed. And uh, if, I, if I'm uncomfortable with it, you know, I probably send Adam, uh, Adam Silver an email or, or write my congressman or something. I don't know. But it, <laughs> it appears like that's the direction we're going. Well, if you have a strong opinion, Jake, don't sit on your hands, man. Make your voice heard. Um, you know what? I, 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 I really don't. I don't have I guess that's what I'm saying. I think it's a, it's a really delicate issue. If I you know, felt really strongly about it. I, let me put it this way. If, if this were two months ago and people with three out of four symptoms weren't getting a test, Mm-hmm. then I would think it would be a really big issue. But as Chris pointed out right there, uh, and it would appear to be true in our community as well, I mean, if you want to get a test and you tell them you got a, a scratchy throat, they're going to give it to you. They're just not to the point yet where they can say every American should get tested. They're just not there. So right. we're in that weird gray area where, you know, Gordo, if you wanted to get a test today, you could probably get one. Whereas the, the as you were talking about, the asymptomatic uh, person is maybe uh, the most dangerous of all. But if you're asymptomatic and you want to get a test, you could probably get one. Yeah, I hope so. I hope we're to that point. Oh, I I 100% think think we are. I mean, I I know somebody uh, coast to coast. Well, I don't know. I'm I'm here in Utah. I'm not I'm not going to speak for Hoboken, New Jersey. Uh, but I, I, you know, I think if you're asymptomatic, like, let me put it this way. If, if you're, uh, in the same household as somebody who shows a symptom, then you have the ability to get tested, even though you're asymptomatic. I hope so. I hope there's enough for everybody. Well, that's true. Everybody who feels like they need to. That's true in our community. That's true right now. Yeah, here. But, uh, I wonder what it is because the NBA is so far flung around the country um, and and the communities they represent, you hope that would be the case wherever the, they come from, as far as the communities go. Well, in this case, it only it it would be the opinion of the state of Florida, right? And they seem fine with it. Yeah, but I mean the representation of it, the perception of it. I mean, if the community that a team represents and normally plays in, if it is suffering and not having enough tests. To have that te- to have that team on TV getting tested on a daily basis that would be that would get back to that bad look. We've got a Mountain America market update coming up next. Stay tuned. We'll uh, let you hear from Kalani Satake at the top of the four o'clock hour. He was on with Hanson Scotty uh, and uh, Greg Miller is going to join the show on the top at the top of the five o'clock hour. Really neat announcement today coming from the Vivint Smart Home Arena and the Miller family and the Jazz about a blood drive. So we'll talk to him about that. Uh, it's all straight ahead here on the Big Show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, ninety-seven-five and twelve eighty. The Zone. D- Gordon 
Johnson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Let's get out of the zone phone. Joining us now, it's time for another Mountain America Market Update from Mountain America Investment Services. He's our friend, Ray Nishikawa. What's going on, Ray? How are you today? I'm doing well. Yourself? Doing terrific. Thank you very much. Let's talk a little bit about that market today. Well, the market uh, ended up uh, good today. Uh, the S&P was up uh, 44. The Dow was up 553. Uh, just a couple brief headlines. Uh, consumer confidence uh, stopped bleeding out. Uh, the housing market is good, but it's always good in the spring. And China is the new Russia. So with all those things in the news, somehow the market keeps going up. So, Well, with that in mind, let's talk about a tip for the listeners today. <laughs> Absolutely. So I've often heard people talk about how some people just get lucky, right? So when you invest, you you know you pick the bottom or you pick the top. So going back to 2004, um, Jake, are you familiar with this quote? Um, it's by Shaq, and the quote is, "One lucky shot deserves another." I remember. Do you remember what yeah. game? Do you remember? Do you remember? Uh, no. You know what? I don't remember what particular game. Okay, so this one is it was during the Western Conference Finals. It was a shot that Derek Fisher made with 0.4 seconds. Right. Um, but this was right after Tim Duncan had made his huge 20-footer over Shaq. And if we took that quote from Shaq, which is one of my favorites, it, it really puts a microscope, right, on both the Duncan shot and the Fisher shot. But if we use another quote, and I've heard a lot of people say it, but uh, the version that I like, um, it's, Luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. And I think that quote puts investing in terms of luck versus skill more into perspective in that we're all going to have chances in our lifetime to get those types of shots. But it's really doing these right activities that you know, myself and my colleagues have been talking about you know, with you guys over the last several weeks that the hope is it puts you in that position, right, a la Derek Fisher, to take that final shot and possibly win you the game in the series. So I think – yeah, there's a lot of luck involved, but really, you kind of make your own luck. Ray, way, gotta, to weave the, way to weave the sports analogy in there. <laughs> Perfect. Ray's done. always good at that, man. Yeah. Just paints that picture masterfully. Well, I appreciate that, guys. You know your audience, Ray. That's for sure. Hey, buddy, we appreciate <laughs> you. Thanks. Okay. Have a great one. That's our friend Ray Nishikawa, Mountain America Investment Services, and that is another Mountain, Mountain America market update. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured Mountain America Credit Union deposits and are not NCUA insured. These products are not obligations of the credit union and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by Mountain America or any government agency. The value of the investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed, and loss of principal is possible. That Derek Fisher shot was one of the luckiest shots ever, right? It, it was crazy. And I remember that <laughs> clear as day. I those that's one of those shots. I remember what Buddy's house and where I was when we were watching that game. That's just one of those iconic, ridiculous moments because it was just so unbelievably lucky. Where were you? Uh, my buddy uh, Max had a house up in the avenues, and that's where we were watching the game. Oh, all right, all right. Okay. Well, as we got to know Derek Fisher later on, we we know that. He was uh, a man of his word and always uh, up front and telling the truth and honorable. Yeah, I don't know if he was that, really. <laughs> that was an interesting... You know, that went from... Do you remember when he came back and was late to a game uh, in that series against, I think it was Golden State, right? Or was it their one win against San Antonio? You know what? I, it might have been their one win against San Antonio where he came back late 
and Derek Fisher comes through the tunnel, and I know like the the stadium was just went nuts. It was actually this really really special moment, and it went from that to uh, cutting bait with the team and a completely opposite sentiment toward Derek Fisher in in pretty miraculous time. I you know when you interviewed Derek Fisher, he well, it was across, Warriors by the way. It was Game Two. Sorry, Gordon, go ahead. Yeah, he he was so sincere and so earnest, you know, and, and so uh, uh, that when things happen like what happened, it, it just it's like a stark backdrop to what your expectation is, you know. It's a, a funny deal that way. I always ta- thought when I was talking to Derek Fisher that he was talking in like soft biblical tones. Soft biblical tones. What do you mean? Can you demonstrate? No, I can't do it. But uh, you know it when you hear it. He's, he was always well spoken. I mean, he he always had something to say. I mean, whether or not you were buying what he was selling, I suppose, especially in hindsight, I don't know. But he always had something to say. Those rumors that he he did not want to be here and play for the Jazz they were they were around from day one. But you wouldn't really have known it by talking to him in media sessions. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I. I can't talk about Derek Fisher without thinking about the two women who showed up courtside with the Fisher Lied t-shirts yeah, we on. We got the those gals on the show once. You remember that? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Bold it. move. Bold it was bold. Bright green, right? Weren't those shirts mm-hmm. bright green? Yeah. All right. Uh we're gonna let you hear from BYU head coach Kalani Sataki coming up next. He was on with Hanson Scotty earlier today. Don't forget Greg Miller is going to be on the show at the top of the five o'clock hour, so stay tuned for that. It is the big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, ninety seven five and twelve eighty the zone.